The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, indeed. We have flipped the calendar and we are ready for a big weekend of championship fights from London to Glendale, Arizona. We are all about the Big Fight Weekend preview. I am the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner from his Fight Freaks Unite Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. Hello, Dan Rayfield. I know you are feeling better, uh, and I know you're going to brighten up because we have got some big-time action, including Tyson Fury back in the ring for whatever it's worth. He is back in the ring defending against Derek Chisora, WBC heavyweight title fight, and as you like to say, lineal heavyweight title fight as well. Um, so that card going on on Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night, U.S. time, Chocolatito Estrada 3 to talk about. Uh, a lot to get to here on the program, including special guests that we have on the show. First of all, how are you? How are things? Are we ready to go? We're good. I'm still fighting this cold. I can't shake it. Hopefully it'll be gone in the next few days, but it's uh, it's been a trying week. But uh, I'm here for the podcast. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. I was thinking to myself, I can't think if maybe ever in the history of boxing, there have been there has been one day on which the same day will complete two trilogies. One totally excitable and everybody wants to see it between chocolatito and and uh, strata and one that most people other than the most <laughs> diehard brits couldn't care less about in fury chisora that said though whenever the heavyweight champ is in action whether it's in a much anticipated fight or just a regular old fight it still commands attention because it's still the heavyweight championship of the world and if chisora can pull the upset somehow it becomes a worldwide mega story and uh and uh of course you got the little guys and you know dubois and lorena on the undercard of, of uh the fury fight so it's uh, this is the last, I guess, uh, the, as the year comes to an NTJ, we got this weekend and then next weekend there's some fights and then it kind of really, we're sort of almost done. There's a few others, you know, there'll be the in a way fight and some stuff uh, around New Year's uh, and the Japan scene. But, but the last gasp of the calendar year uh, is really in terms of boxing this weekend and next weekend. All right, so we're anxious to get into all of it. Let me set the table for you. First of all, thank you for finding us. Social media link, Dan Substack, Big Fight Weekend website, however you found us, make sure you're following, subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We preview going into the weekend on Fridays. We come off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap show. You get both of those right here off the feed. Uh, if you're following, if you're subscribing, Dan always loves to say it. Tell them what they get to make sure they know when there's a new podcast they get. They get a bell. They get a ding. They get a banner. They get a vibration. They might get a light. I think I got it covered. You better tell them before they click off to make sure that you tell them who our special guests are this week. Yes, yes, because you don't want to go anywhere. You're about to hear from both Ramon Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada because Dan Rayfield talked to both of those guys as part of a media uh, call uh, in the buildup to this trilogy fight in Glendale, Arizona. Now, it, we must confess. Both very in, small, very, very few people, very, very limited. Exclusive. Of both of them in Espanol, but you will hear the answers in English. It's good stuff. It's straight ahead. Hear from both of them, including, here comes the tease, will they fight a fourth time? Depending on what does or doesn't happen, you put the question to both of them. Both of them give the answer. I think it's fair to say one is more interested in a fourth fight than the other one is interested in a fourth fight, but you'll hear the answers from which one that is. How did I do on the tease? I think the Pretty tease good. is good on that. So hear from those guys straight ahead. 
a little later on in the podcast. We'll talk more about the Fury Chisora fight, Dan and, and my breakdown of that. David Payne will be here from London. I love David's insight. He has covered the sport for 25 years over in the UK. He's been ringside for heavyweight title fights involving Lennox Lewis, involving Vladimir Klitschko, involving Tyson Fury. Uh, so David Payne will have some insight on Fury Chisora, give us an idea of what kind of enthusiasm there is from him and from the Brits about this at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Again, we're told sold out. Uh, again, a December battle uh, for Fury that has sold over 60,000 tickets. It's going to be some scene and some event. Again, David will set the table a little bit for us. I hope he brings a that. jacket, man, because it's going to be 30, 30, between 30 and 40. That's what, uh, yeah, outdoor stadium. It is going to be chilly if that's the case. So the boxing writer is here later on in the program. Now, uh, boxing much... fans, by the way, not quite like football fans. They're not into sitting outside in the cold weather to watch the fights. And this is uh, something we covered before because they have had fights in wintery conditions in an indoor facility where you can close the roof, retractable roof, or it's a dome or whatever. This is an outdoor facility, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, that we'll be talking about coming up uh, for the Fury fight. So more on that. And as if I feel like, you know, you and I are contemporaries. Like in the 1980s when they had the Ginsu steak knife commercials, how much would you pay now? 1995, 29 But wait, but wait, but wait, there's more. Teofimo Lopez in the house. You spoke with him earlier in the week. The uh, the former unified world uh, lightweight champ, um, and he has got a non-title fight coming next weekend <laughs> in New York. So we're going to hear that conversation. You with Teofimo, wet their appetite for just a second. You covered a lot of subjects. Yeah, no, listen, we went over all kinds of things. I mean, it's as you said, it's not a title fight, but it is an important fight because it's a WBC junior welterweight final eliminator, which means uh, he will be the mandatory challenger eventually uh, for Regis Progress who's the WBC newly crowned champion. Now he'll have to make another mandatory before that against the next guy that was and promised that fight, which is uh, Jose Ramirez. Uh, obviously it depends on if the sides opt to do the matchups, but the point is Tiafimo will put himself in a position with a victory against Sander Martin to be the mandatory. Likewise, Sander Martin also uh, same deal. They, they ordered that fight at the convention. And uh, when, when Jose Pedraza, who was originally Tiafimo's opponent dropped out with illness, not related to COVID, they were able to make that fight on uh, somewhat short notice and then and make it for the eliminator. So, uh, Tfim and I covered a lot of a lot of topics. Uh, that particular fight, he gave me his thoughts about the progress and pay to fight and some other guys in the weight class. We talked about just his evolution as a junior welterweight. This will be his second fight. He came up uh, after losing the lightweight title. He moved up and uh, fought his first fight in this weight class in August. We talked about that and. Uh, it was just a good conversation. Tiafimo, I've known him since his professional debut. I've always had a pretty good rapport with the guy, and he's a, he's a, a, a good guy to deal with, and he's good in his interviews. He likes to talk, and uh, he's uh, he's looking forward to the fight. And I could tell. I, I talked to him on a Zoom, so the folks will hear the audio, but I got to see him. You could tell just the way that his face was and uh, you know how it looked that he was already awfully close to weight. This is not like a last-minute big-time weight cut. He told me on the day we spoke, which I believe was on, on Monday of this week, that he was already like 146 or so. So he's right on target to be uh, there uh, next week at 140. Good stuff. Good tease. You'll hear that <laughs> conversation in a little bit. All right, let's get into it uh, here. The trilogy fight we'll discuss first between uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. I know you've been hyped up about this. Oh, yeah. And I have been too. This should be an action-packed fight. We're building it up between these two guys. We're going to hear from them in just a few moments. Set the table for us. Glendale, Arizona is the site. 
Uh, we've had this fight uh, derailed a couple of times because of COVID-19 scheduling, et cetera. Now we're right on the cusp. We're going to get it. Dan, a thought or two. Listen, these are two ultimate veterans. They're they're both, you know, Roman Gonzalez is guaranteed Hall of Fame. Uh, Juan Francisco Estrada is probably in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, regardless of what happens on the uh, on the fight between them on Saturday. You know, these are these guys have been around forever and they've been tied together for a decade. I mean, their first fight, you got to go all the way back to 2012. That was back at a time when, uh, you know, when they were not really well known, there wasn't a huge amount of hype for the fight. You were diehard, you knew about it. That was at the time when, when Roman Gonzalez was the, uh, the junior flyweight champion and you had uh, Estrada coming down a weight class to fight him for that belt. He has said since then, you know, particularly in the lead up to this fight, people have asked about the trilogy. That, that was a really difficult situation for him in terms of making the weight. Uh, he lost a great fight. It was a tremendous battle. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's worth finding on YouTube or digging around for it. But it's a really outstanding fight. It was a fight of the year candidate in 2012 in Los Angeles. And there was a lot of conversation after that about fighting again. It took quite a while for them to do it. It didn't happen until finally, you know, after they both made names for themselves, won titles in other weight classes. Uh, but they finally were able to get that fight done. took place in March of last year. A fantastic fight, TJ. Fight of the year candidate. I mean, honestly, besides the third fight between Wilder and Fury, which was the obvious fight of the year, mm-hmm. had that fight not taken place, no doubt about it, that Estrada and Chocolatito 2 would have been uh, the fight of the year. But anyway, it was a great fight. It was to unify titles at 115, the WBA and the WBC titles. Uh, it turned out to be everything you could have wanted. It was, like I said, fight of the year candidate. But the only thing that was not good was that the result of the fight had Estrada winning a very controversial split decision. Uh, myself and many others ta- thought that Chocolatito was the clear winner, not to take anything away from the great fight or, or the, the abilities and the talents of Estrada. But that was controversial. And so finally, as you mentioned, after trying to get the fight done, COVID knocked it off, killed her a couple of times. They're finally back in the ring for the trilogy fight on Saturday. It's the main event on the zone. And uh, I, I can't wait. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out because this trilogy, I've covered lots of great fights in my day. I didn't cover the first one in person. I didn't cover the second one. That was with a limited audience that was a little COVID-related because of it. Right. Won't be there this weekend. <clears throat> but I've covered them in person in other fights, you know, many times. And uh, so it disappoints me not to be there for the trilogy of these two great warriors. And uh, I just love these guys. I could watch them fight all day long. Uh, I can't imagine how this would not be another great fight. The only thing that's weird about it to me is, as I mentioned, when they had their rematch in March of last year, it was to unify the two titles. So, you know, Estrada uh, was the WBC champion. Uh, um, Chocolatito was the WBA champion. Estrada won the fight, was unified. And then because of uh, the way politics go, you know, the titles were stripped away. And when this fight was signed, it wasn't going to be for any belts. It was just, or, you know, it was just for the lineal championship in the weight class. And I think, I guess the ring magazine was, uh, was going to uh, give the winner the, the title, but because of the situation that occurred with the WBC's 115 pound title, with uh, Bam Rodriguez vacating, uh, this this was now the next uh, the the next best guys I guess in their rankings and in their minds. So in in reality, they're fighting for the same belt they fought the last time, except now it's vacant. But the bottom line is, belts aside, all that stuff aside, the winner of this fight is going to be the champion at at uh, Junior Bantamweight or Super Flyweight, 115 pounds. Uh, they're both pound for pound level guys. Like I said, Hall of Famers. This is a fight that you're if you if you're you're probably if you're listening to our podcast you're probably a diehard fan right so if you're listening to our podcast and you're not watching this fight or you're not interested in this fight 
I don't know if I can really think of you as a true boxing fan. Who in the world would want to miss this fight? I agree with you uh, on that. So a lot to get into. And let me set this up. Dan got in with some other members of the media on a media call, a Zoom with both Chocolatito and Estrada. And so you're going to hear that conversation. And just so I set it up, uh, you're going to hear not only Dan's questions, but you're going to hear the answer underneath in Spanish and the full volume of the answer for the, from the Spanish interpreter through Matchroom Boxing uh, in English. So uh, I did a little surgery work on this, a little audio surgery work. I think it's going to turn out great. I will say to the audience, there was a technical snafu when you're talking to Estrada on your second question where the full question is not there, but the full answer is there. No offense, big fellow. We want to hear the answers anyway. We get the gist of the question. So it's the answer that we want to hear. So, again, enjoy this for about five or six minutes. First, it is Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, and then it is Juan Francisco Estrada through the same interpreter, but you'll hear the Q&A from Dan about this matchup, putting the question to both, about a potential fourth fight, putting the questions to both. Here you go now from midweek with Dan with both the fighters in the Gonzalez- Estrada trilogy. Do you have any kind of outside of the ring relationship with Estrada? I mean, you guys have been in this rivalry now for going on, a, I guess, a decade, actually. Two fights. I know you've been on the same card with each other. Um, and I just wonder, like, what the what the, the non-boxing relationship is like, if there is one friendship, um, a respect thing. Do they feel like they're enemies? Like, what's the... What's the relationship as they go into the third fight? So basically, um, I don't really have much more of a relationship with him other than when I see him um, during you know, our, our fight weeks. We'll ask each other how our families are getting on. But I suppose the closest we get to, to be around each other is during the, the fight weeks, really. Uh, and, you know, it's motivating for me and it's a great feeling to have almost shared my career with him. And I feel that both of us you know, are ready to put on another great fight on, on Saturday night. Does he think that when they're done with their competition, you know, down the road at other events, maybe at the Hall of Fame, that, that they'll be friendly, sit down and talk over old times. I, I, the reason I ask is I've heard other fighters who've shared great trilogies or great rivalries uh, when it's all said and done that, that oftentimes even some of the guys that got along the worst, Herrera Morales, for example, when it was all said and done years later, they were able to uh, you know, spend some time together, have a meal, talk over the, the old war stories and uh, enjoy themselves with each other's company. Does he think that him and Estrada will be able to do that someday? Of course, yeah. I mean, I've never had any problems with him at all. You know, he's a really good guy um, and I respect him. As I said, I've never had any problems with him. And as I just said a few moments ago, it's actually been a pleasure to share my boxing career with him. Um, we have to both thank God that he's given us the opportunity to put that bread on our table uh, because of the fights we've shared. So, you know, I hope that in the future, on Saturday night, for example, uh, we can both come out healthy once again, and, and God can allow us to do that. How how disappointed or uh, upset is he still, or if at all, about the decision that took place in the second fight? I mean, myself, and I know many, many others, felt like as incredible of a, of a tremendous fight as it was, that, that Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez should have been the, the rightful winner of that fight. 
So no, in the end, you know, it was nobody's fault. The, the result that was um, decided upon in the end, you know, we both did our work really well. And, and fortunately, we both came out of that fight healthy and, you know, sound of body and mind. Um, so I say hi to him and I let on to him. It's, it, there's no issue whatsoever. You know, boxing is about meeting people, uh, you know, and I'm blessed to, to have met him. Well, I'd like to I'd like to start off and ask uh, Juan a similar question that I asked uh, to, to Chocolatito is if he could, uh, if Juan, if you could describe your feelings towards Roman, any kind of relationship that you feel like you have with him after these uh, two, you know, very uh, outstanding fights you've had and, and the long association you've had because you guys have been at the top of this weight class for so long. Um, you know, do you consider him a friend? Uh, how much respect do you have for him? And, uh, you know, can you see yourselves being friendly beyond your, your in, in the ring competitions? Yeah, so outside of the ring, you know, we'll say hi to each other when we see each other, because we see each other quite often. Um, and, you know, it's all about this rivalry, because once we go into the ring, we give absolutely everything, and then it's over again, we'll hug, and that's like the respect that exists in sports, you know, you, you have that respect for an opponent, uh, but then when you face them, you, you go all out to win. Juan, you've had lots of success in, in your career beyond your association with these fights between yourself and Roman. But I wonder if you could. Yeah, so I think, you know, every opportunity that you have, you go into, you know, and if you win, it opens doors for you. But it, that fight in 2012, even though I lost, you know, because I put on a good show in that fight, I got my chance against Gloria, uh, where I went on to become world champion. So I think even though I lost that fight, it opened the door to me. And I think that every time you go into the ring, it's a great opportunity to show what you can do and to almost fight for your future. Uh, and that was the case in 2012. And, and I was told, uh, Juan, that whatever happens on Saturday, that, that you think that you're open to the possibility of a fourth fight. Roman said that would, if it, if it made sense, it would be perfectly okay with him too. Can you express to me your thoughts about the potential that this rivalry may go beyond Saturday night? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've had two fights now and both fights have been really, really tight. Um, we're at 1-1 one, one now. We're one apiece. Um, and obviously the, the winner of that best out of three will be defined on Saturday. Um, but I think whoever wins on, on Saturday night, I think it will end up being a good fight. And, you know, I don't um, discount the possibility of there being a fourth. And again, excellent hustle by you, Dr. Reeves, on the surgery. Hope the fans enjoyed that. You got to hear the answers through the interpreter about both of them. I thought it was a little interesting that Estrada was a kind of a lukewarm on a fourth fight. Chocolatito didn't hesitate to say, yeah, we'll do it again if we need to do it again. I guess it kind of depends <laughs> on what happens. If it's a decisive win by one or the other, a knockout or whatever, is there your opinion? Is there a need? If it's a decisive win under my hypothetical, is yeah. there a need for a fourth fight? What do you think? It's not so much a need. Like, we needed the rematch, obviously. I mean, now we need the trilogy. Fourth fight, do we need it? I don't know. Do we need Pacquiao versus Marquez for? We didn't need it, but we kind of wanted it, and it turned out to be a great fight. So it could be that kind of situation where they'll look around, and maybe that's the best option, the biggest fan interest, the biggest money. Uh, the winner, of course, will still have a title. So, you know, again, you got to wait to see how it plays out. Uh, so I'm not really sure. What I, what I liked about it, uh, when I talk to those guys is there's no real animosity. They're just stand-up guys. They're true sportsmen. They're warriors. Uh, 
they're they're they don't have that like edge to them the way that Morales and Barrera did when they were going through their trilogy. Nor are they the they become best friends the way Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti did, or even like Evander Holyfield and Riddick Bowe, who became very close friends uh, down the road. Uh, they respect each other. Uh, they don't dislike each other. I do think they kind of like each other, even though they don't like say that they're friends with each other. But it's just there's the competition between them is so fierce. And they've really been in this great era of junior bantamweights and flyweights and and uh, and that, you know, in and around that weight class. They've been the two linchpins for basically a decade. Good enough stuff. And again, we'll talk more on our Friday Bet US show. First of probably a couple of plugs for the Friday one Eastern Time Bet US show. This is a very even fight line with Chocolatito minus 220 or just a little over two to one to win Estrada plus 180 as an underdog, not a huge underdog. Over under is 10 and a half rounds. They were distance fights the two times they fought previously. So we'll analyze and predict that more. We'll tease. Again, the BetUS show at 1 Eastern time on the BetUS platforms and YouTube. We'll make a few predictions on that fight. That's the Matchroom Boxing main event Saturday night. Earlier in the afternoon, U.S. time is the Queensberry slash top-ranked boxing show where Tyson Fury defends the lineal and WBC heavyweight championships against Derek Chisora. Uh, undercard fight that has Daniel Dubois in action with the WBA secondary belt. Alexander Usyk holds the the, uh, the super or the world or whatever they call it title, the main one for the WBA. So these fights are on the fight card. You and I are going to go ahead and talk about this now on the front end here on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Uh, you've already alluded to it a little bit. I don't know that we had to have this, but Tyson Fury wanted it to happen, and he had the option to make a fight with somebody that he wanted to fight, and he, and he wanted to fight Derek Chisora. Uh, all right, so here we go uh, with this matchup at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's expected over 60,000 will be in attendance. Uh, interesting, uh, just from the standpoint of is it a knockover for Fury? Is Chisora going to maybe hang in for a while, et cetera? You don't have to make a prediction, but just give me your assessment as we now approach fight day for Fury Chisora 3, please. Well, I do think Chisora will hang in. I mean, most people look at it as a mismatch because Chisora has sort of fallen, uh, you know, further down in his career. You know, at one time he was a really good contender. He fought Vitaly Klitschko for the heavyweight, the same heavyweight WBC title uh, a number of years ago, 2000 and what, uh, 2010 or 11 or something like that. Uh, but now he's got a lot of losses and he's been taking beatings. But one thing about Derek Chisora that you should never underestimate is his ability to take punishment and go the distance. I mean, he's been uh, a top, a guy in that regard. And by the way, the, the Klitschko title shot he got was actually 2015 where he lost every single round. But the thing about Chisora is he does have a great chin because in a, in a very long career, um, you know, he's faced everybody under the sun. He's got 12 losses. He's been stopped only three times. Now, one of them was against uh, Tyson Fury in, in their second fight. So again, one of the reasons why people are so down on the match, I think, and understandably because they wanted to see the Joshua fight, which everybody got teased by uh, by the guys over the last few months. They want to see the Usyk fight, which, you know, not that it's Tyson Fury's fault, but Usyk said he's laying off the remainder of the year, which he said after he beat uh, uh, Anthony Joshua in their August rematch. And if, if Fury didn't want to grow stale and wanted to fight, you know, a complete 180 <clears throat> from being retired, to <laughs> now I must fight before the end of the year. I mean, that's just uh, the way he rolls. Um so he picked 
Derek Chisora, a guy who we figure he'll beat, but he can make a big payday against. Look, people yep. should understand that Derek Chisora and Tyson Fury, they're buddies now. They're like friends or old chaps or old chums. And in reality, what Fury is doing is he's giving his boy a payday. He's gifting him a beautiful Christmas present. And Chisora even said in the Thursday press conference that he is very grateful for that. He even used the phrase, he's helping me put food on the table for my kids for a long time to come with this payday. So he's acknowledged that. But the yes. thing that Chisora said right after that is, once <laughs> we step in the ring and the bell rings, then all of that nice stuff and the friendship stuff is put aside. Now it's a fight. Yeah, so that's I what we wanted that. to hear out of that part. Go ahead. And, it, and, it, and I mean, I guess that makes Tyson Fury a good guy in that sense because he's looking out for his friends. I mean, why, if you're going to take a lesser kind of fight, you might as well give the payday to a guy that you like and respect than somebody that you don't know or don't care about. So, you know, it does remind me, and I've said this before, I think on this podcast even, uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had many years ago with Mike Tyson where he said to me, the most disrespectful thing that a fighter can do to another fighter is to not give that fighter a payday when he needs it. And Tyson Fury is doing the opposite. He's giving Derek Chisor a payday. Now, I don't know how much, how desperate he is for it. I mean, he's made good money, I think, in recent fights. He's <clears throat> fought a lot of good good uh, opponents. But they're going to hopefully put on a show. If you watch the press conference, they were talking about putting on, like, a fantastic first round of just coming right out of the gate and letting it all hang out. So if they're going to do that and make it a battle royale, a brawl, the, you know, the heavyweight Hagler Hearns, so to speak, you know, <laughs> I'm down for that. Uh, I'm glad that we live here in the United States and don't have to, if we want to watch the heavyweight championship fight, it doesn't cost pay-per-view money. It's just a regular live on ESPN plus. So that's a positive. Uh, but look, it's, it's not the fight that we wanted to see. It's not even the most uh, credible fight out there, but it is what it is. As I said to you, when we started to discuss this, the heavyweight champ is in action on Saturday, whoever he's fighting. That means it commands my attention anyway, as a, boxing uh, journalist and as a boxing fan so i will be watching and ideally tj if tyson fury wins as expected they will then in a quick and hopefully easy fashion make that fight with Usyk for the early part of next year bob aram who is uh over in, in the uk for this fight has been talking about that in the lead up they have a close relationship between bob and uh and uh Usyk's management uh not an issue in terms of doing that everybody gets along very well there's no broadcast issues no promotion issues, none of that nonsense to stand in the way of this fight. So if they both want it and they're both uh, in the reality of what the money can be, there's absolutely zero reason why this fight won't happen. All Unless right. the sanctioning bodies kick right. their heels up, which is but always you know, possible. At this point, it's the fight everybody wants. And if somebody wants to strip Usyk of a title, I don't think that's going to stand in the way ultimately. I think Fury can, Fury Well, I disagree Usyk. with that, but that, I disagree with that entirely. Why are you trying entire, to rain on the on the parade I'm of a just possible saying, Fury Usyk? I think that I'm not trying to rain. What I'm saying is the magic of this particular fight. It's not like that for every fight. Is for the first time ever to have somebody exit the ring as the all four belt heavyweight champion and lineal champion. That's never happened. That's the magic of the fight. I if suddenly a belt is stripped away. It's not that we wouldn't want to see the fight, but it becomes dramatically less, in my opinion. Well, no, I, I, we're talking about two different things. You're talking about, is it less significant? I'm talking about, I think it still happens. I still think they fight, even if he's stripped of one of the belts, because that's the biggest fight out there. So, but I, I think that, that Usyk is the kind of guy that would do whatever he's got to do to keep the belt. Interesting. All right, so that's a debate for another time. Fury is a 20-to-1 favorite, not unexpected. Chisora, a 9-to-1 <laughs> underdog. 
Again, he's got 12 losses and Fury beat him twice. What do you expect on the Ben US line? And so, by the way, he lost three fights in a row. And then in his most recent fight, he had life and death with the uh, 40-plus Kubrat Pulev in a fight that a lot of people thought Pulev could have edged out. Uh, that was a terrific fight, by the way, but it was it was not the kind of victory that should earn you a heavyweight championship fight. All right, so we'll make more predictions on this. The over-under is six and a half rounds on that BetUS show that I keep referencing Friday, <clears throat> 1 Eastern time. Check it out. Even if you're hearing us after the fact on Friday, you can find out what the predictions are on that. There's the promotion yet again uh, for that. All right, quickly, because I want to hear from David Payne, who's over in England, uh, the boxing writer, uh, to get some perspective from him as well on this. Daniel Dubois on the undercard. I honestly, again, we defer to you. I don't know a lot, and a lot of people don't know a lot about Kevin Lorena, the South African that he's fighting. You would have to believe this is more than likely Dubois and Dubois fairly easily. Give me your thought real quick. It's the co-feature fight that'll be right before Fury Chisora with uh, Dubois holding the secondary WBA belt. Well, with the kind of power that Dubois possesses, it's, it's always possible that a fight is going to be just a blowout because he's just got such heavy hands. And we've seen him knock out everybody in his wake other than uh, uh, Joe Joyce, who got him. Uh, but I don't think this is an easy fight, actually. When they told me that it was going to be Dubois' defense against Lorena, I was like, that's actually pretty solid. I mean, it's not like a super fight, but they didn't go for a bum. The Kevin Lorena is not a bum. Kevin Lorena is 28-1. and one. He has 14 knockouts. He's a southpaw, which is never a good thing if you're a Daniel Dubois and you're, and you're not used to those types of opponents. Uh Southpaw heavyweights are a pain in the neck, obviously. Right. Uh, the thing about Lorena is that he made his bones as a cruiserweight. He's been a cruiserweight his entire career. His one loss, which came many years ago, almost, you know, what, eight or nine years ago uh, as a cruiserweight. So I don't know. You can't really even count that at this point. It was a decision. He didn't get stopped. He's been a heavyweight now for the last three fights. And he's he's fought like okay kind of guys, like Bogdan Dinu, for example. You might have heard of him. He fought Gerald Miller mm -hmm. a few years ago. He's fought some other name guys. His last fight that took place uh, in September of this year, which helped set him up for this fight, was against Marius Wach, who was a very big heavyweight. Uh, not a great heavyweight, but fought for the heavyweight title against Klitschko. Has faced a number of, of uh, solid opponents. Uh, he won a 12-round decision against him. He's fought like okay guys. Even as a cruiserweight, he was fighting guys like Firat Arslan, who was the former champion for a long time. You know, he's, he's got some names on the record. This is not a bum fight, in my mind. Um, you know... I think it could be a little tricky. You know, Dubois with a lefty who, who's a little bit quicker, I think, maybe. Um, again, I think Dubois wins the fight, but it's this is it's interesting to me. This is like an interesting fight. It's in my in many ways, frankly, it's even more interesting than the Tyson Fury uh, Chisora main event. But I mean, the big thing, TJ, with Dubois, if he wins, he keeps the chains moving number one. He'll be, a, you know, a decent opponent. Uh, he maintains his position because he is the regular champion of the WBA, keeps him in. Uh, the spot to, to be the mandatory eventually, uh, whether they'll order that fight uh, against Usyk right away or not. You know, I hope they don't. I mean, Dubois is active, making money. Let's let's let the undisputed fight take place. But the point is, as long as Dubois keeps winning, what WBA secondary belt or not, he's still a significant fighter. His only loss, as I said, is Joe Joyce. But if he fits in with any of these guys, you know, a big fight with him and Tyson Fury in the UK would be a huge deal. Uh, they're both with the same promoter, with Frank Warren. It's not exactly the most complicated fight in the world to make. I don't know if it will happen right off the bat, but certainly down the road, I can see that. Listen, one thing about Tyson Fury, for all the retirement talk, now it's the exact opposite where he says, you know, I'm addicted to boxing and I want to be around for as long as possible. So <laughs> if that's the case, he's going to need opponents. And the, the, the opponents that are out there that make sense for him, other than 
you know, for example, uh, the obvious fight against uh, Usyk and obviously one against Anthony Joshua. Once you get past those two guys, there is going to be, uh, you know, if, if Dubois keeps winning a drumbeat there in the UK, especially. Maybe we'll see a fourth fight against Deontay Wilder. Point is, Dubois keeps himself in position for these major fights. Agree with you on that. All right. On that note, again, we've covered that card, the Queensberry top-ranked boxing co-promoted show, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, uh, for those two fights. Let's get some more insight from the UK. My guy, David Payne, the boxing writer. He's at the boxing writer on social media. Boxingwriter.co.uk is his site. Let's get some insight from him. We'll we'll begin that conversation going back to last week's Dillian White fight, but I want him to give perspective on being right there for Fury Chisora 3, Dubois in the co-feature fight. Let's get to that now as part of our preview. As mentioned, I could not go into this weekend and not get the perspective of the boxing writer, David Payne, from boxingwriter.co.uk because we had action last weekend involving Dillian White. Uh, he also wrote about it, and we repurposed it on our side about Fabio Wardley uh, winning last weekend, a heavyweight contender in Britain, and now the Gypsy King. I, I don't think it's unfair. First of all, welcome. Hopefully everything is good. Holiday season. Uh, you love the Gypsy King unabashedly. You've admitted that. He's back. I couldn't go into this weekend and not have you on to talk a little bit about he and Derek Chisora, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Saturday night. Boxing writer, how you feeling? I'm very good, TJ. Thanks for the invitation. Hello to the listeners. Um, yes, uh, I've declared it many times. I'm a fan of Fury. I find him fun and interesting. Um, so it's good to see that he's boxing again. We'd all like it to be somebody different. But here we are. It's Fury versus Chisora for the third time. The three often missed off all the promotional stuff for obvious reasons, it seems, these days. But, um, yeah, good to talk about a big fight again in the UK. Big, another big stadium fight that we seem to do so well. All right, so we'll talk more about that in a second. Let's back up. Dillian White, victorious uh, over Jermaine Franklin. Wasn't easy, wasn't as decisive maybe as he would have wanted it to be. Give me a thought, and and what's his what's his relevance moving forward in the landscape because you have great insight. Go ahead. Oh, it's a great question, um, and I'm a little uncertain sitting here almost a week on. Uh, it was a disappointing performance. I predicted that what um, – Franklin would have some success. He's got quickish hands. He punches in flurries and White can be a little bit stationary at times and poor on his feet. Um, so I thought he'd have some success, but I thought White would do better. I thought he would be able to impose his authority and his, his better punching power into the fight and perhaps get, get to him later, second half of the fight. Didn't really come to pass. He kind of had some success in the championship rounds, but it was a disappointing performance. Franklin is he's unbeaten and unbeaten guys often take some beating because they don't know how to lose, as the cliche goes. But he's still way over his optimum weight. He's only his second fight back after a long layoff. So despite the fact he's a young guy, he should have been there for the taking if White is what he is reported to believe or reported to be or believes himself to be. So disappointing. Shows a guy who is probably the other side of whatever hill he's climbed in terms of his uh, optimum performance. We're into the cliched American trainer phase of his career, which tends to happen to guys as they get closer to the end. I often describe it as the penultimate chapter, which is not to denigrate the work of of this particular trainer or, or the others that have followed with similar people like White. But we tend to get to this phase and it's a it's an act for change and a little of delusion and so on. Um, and I think we're coming to the end of the Dillian White story. 
he may well have fun in an Anthony Joshua fight. There may be fun to be had for all of us in that kind of fight because they're probably on similar arcs. Um, but I was disappointed. I'm sure you were too, DJ, although I know you've been a pretty heavy critic of him in the past, believing he's somewhat overrated. So yes. perhaps surprised. He did not do much to change that opinion. You do remember <laughs> me well on Saturday, and we'll see. Does he end up fighting Anthony Joshua again? Uh, is that next? Is that later in 2023 to be? I think, I think it's a huge disappointment. I think it's a disappointment if he does. I mean, it just it just shows you the uh, these narratives just emerge, don't they? Um, and it's all kind of kind of a Machiavellian plan by Eddie Hearn. We've gone from Joshua <laughs> was you know willing to fight Usyk a second time, which I give him some credit for, and he was ultimately unsuccessful. And we've had many conversations about the psychology that's swirling around that fella's head. Um, but then we were talking about Fury and for whoever's to blame for that not happening to now go to a narrative where he, he may have a tune-up fight in March and then fight White in the summer and there may be a trilogy that's suddenly a 2023 that looks a lot different to the one that we were sold. That said, it may be a good, a good sequence of fights for Joshua if he's to rebuild and build some confidence and get some form, etc. But it's a very different narrative to the one we were sold. But judging by the way they interacted at ringside, one can see that that is probably the favourite horse that's going to be running for Joshua and for White next year. This is one of my favorite horses, and I go to him. And I'm not even a horse racing guy. He's a thoroughbred, though, for me. He's David Payne, boxingwriter.co.uk. You find him at The Boxing Writer on social media. Thrilled to have him as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast before Tyson Fury and Derek Chisora, which I promise I'm coming to momentarily. But you wrote about uh, Fabio Wardley and his uh, British heavyweight title win over Nathan Gorman last Saturday night on the undercard of the white fight. Give me a few verbal thoughts on what you wrote about and Wardley's future. He clearly is not championship caliber material yet. He does have a British championship now, but give me some thoughts. I want your thoughts on what you saw and his future. Um, yeah. I mean, he won't, he won't have um, broken into the consciousness of guys, your side of the pond, but for us, Fabio Wardley is an interesting character. The British title is a very, very historic one over here in the UK. Very important. The likes of um, Henry Cooper, Bruce Woodcock, people like that, going back years and years for older listeners, fought for it. And it's, it's something that's held with great prestige here. The, the belt itself is a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. And um, for all the other belts that float around, for all the other champions... Uh, the British title still has a great deal of gravitas and um, domestic fighters will crawl over broken glass, as the saying goes, to try <laughs> and get a shot at the British title. And whatever happens now to Fabio Wardley, as I wrote in the article for Big Fight Weekend, whatever happens, he will sit in that eternal armchair in the future and be able to say that he was British champion. A belt held by Tyson Fury, for example, a belt held by Henry Cooper, some of our greatest big men um so however long his story lasts and he's a young man i think he's 25 26 very new to boxing he's been done white collar boxing over here in the uk not a lot of amateur pedigree he's kind of a fun guy and um i think the, the point i'm making the article is just how much it of clearly meant to him to win that fight first to be able to come through the crisis that he had in the first round against nathan gorman when he was in trouble nose busted blood everywhere to come through and show that he had the will and the heart to win that title, showed how much it meant uh, and what a marker that will be in his story. Um, and he's local to us down here in sleepy Suffolk. Not there a we go. Of there we go. Um, 
so there's some some regional bias there. It's nice to see a guy from this area make such a, a name for himself on the on the British scene, and who knows where his story may end. All right, so let's just pick up on that one more quick one that you would know better than me. Who is a realistic opponent, uh, or maybe two, that we might see him with? If you could wave a wand, who would realistically be a good opponent for him in 2023? Well, as you would imagine, he'd be trying to make defenses of that British title. I think he has to defend it three times, and he gets to keep the belt forever, which is quite a mantelpiece item to have. That's a a little um, kind of story that we have with that belt over here. Um, so there are some contenders coming up behind him. Um, there's Fraser Clark, who's come out of the Olympic system, who's turned over quite late. Big, big, solid, durable heavyweight. He's done a lot of sparring with Joshua, a lot of sparring with Joe Joyce and people like that in the Olympic system. So if Fraser Clark chooses that, then he might be an interesting opponent. And then we've got a big ticket seller from London called Johnny Fisher, who you won't have heard of yet, who's 7-0, and sells kind of 2,000 tickets as an undercard fighter on other shows, you can imagine how popular he is with promoters. So there are some fun fights out there. They'll have to be uh, realistic with him. They can't now throw him straight at European title fights or try and be chasing the Daniel Dubois and so on because they're obviously well beyond him at this point in time. Um, But there are young, aspirational fighters at around a similar experience level. Uh, who would who would and there's also David Adelaide if I've got the pronunciation right who's a also similar novice kind of level but very competent very capable as my twins say let's go with that let's go with that we'll go with that pronunciation very nice on that I've not got it in front of me so sometimes I (laughs) trip over these things hey but a good heavyweight a good heavyweight I don't want to do him a disservice very capable guy All right, we'll watch for that. We'll definitely be watching Saturday night. It is the Queensberry top-ranked show Saturday afternoon in the U.S. with Tyson Fury, Derek Chisora in the main event. Uh, I wrote about this on Big Fight Weekend on Thursday. Chisora, uh, the word I used is, and the word that he kind of said is grateful. He's grateful for the opportunity because this is a third fight. He's a fighter that's lost 10 fights in his career. He's clearly at the end of his career. 12. 12. 12 fights. Uh, that he's lost fury giving him a title shot in this instance a lot of people saying why Uh, a part of the argument is he wants to stay active fury this is a marketable fight in the uk it's going to sell a lot of tickets and already has it's going to have some interest okay there are my thoughts level of interest on the david payne scale i'm curious one zero interest at all give me uh give me nails on the chalkboard versus uh 10 that, that you're sky high. I don't think you're a one. I don't think you're a 10. I don't think you're a two. I don't think you're a nine. Where are you? Where are you on the scale? Fury Chisora. Um, I'm probably my head. I should probably be down in the twos and threes, shouldn't I? But I'll probably register a five or six, I guess. Okay. By five. And um, I think the, the word that kind of is a ribbon through this, is uh, convenience. And I think that that's the biggest factor in this fight being made. Um, We've seen how difficult it can be to make fights, and I'm not exonerating Fury for all. I'm a supporter of his claims. I'm not exonerating him. He perhaps made things difficult. Who knows? I don't really care, TJ, do you, Mm. about whose fault it is? Let's just make some damn fights. But um, equally... Uh, Chisora is proved very easy to deal with grateful might be another word you mentioned Uh, they've talked about this being a kind of sayonara fight for both of them at different points in their careers because they have respect and some sort of kinship between them following their fights 
and they recognise each other as warriors, I guess. Um, but yes, he's got 12 defeats, a couple contentious, a Dillian White's points defeat, the Robert Hellenius fight a lifetime ago, 10 years ago. Um, he probably should have got the nod and didn't, which looks like a better performance now in hindsight. But um, yeah, he's got 12 defeats. I think same as James J. Braddock. And I think we're we're way above that upset if he manages to I saw to the note. You will, you will love this because as David does the interview with me, I always love saying this to the audience, even though you can't see it. He always does these interviews with Rocky Marciano's humongous, thunderous, one-punch KO of Jersey Joe Walcott in a painting over his shoulder. So I see that every time I see you, and I love you for that. Jersey Joe Walcott is the last uh, fighter to win to win a portion or the heavyweight title with at least 10 losses. And that's going back to the 1950s. Hello, 70 years ago. So just as a reference point, and I always love bringing this up with the nostalgia with you that that would be because we have to move along quickly, sum it up for me like this. If this is anything other than Fury knocking Chisora over in two or three rounds, the reason or reasons will be what? What do you think? If it if it goes on into middle rounds and becomes at least somewhat interesting where Fury can't put him away immediately, what are the reason? What is the reason or what are the reasons? Um. I don't want to go too high on Fury uh, in respect to making some sort of cross between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali because he's neither of those men. And apologies to the to the historians who have just cringed and squinted at my name in <laughs> him in the same sentence as those two. Um, but I think he might carry Chisora for a while. I think he might actually carry him. I think he might, under the auspices of showing him the respect of he can punch a little, he'll come forward, he'll take a chance. He won't just curl up in a shell and wait. He will come and try. So if um, I dare say, if I dare interject with my English friend, reason number one is because Fury wants it to go a little longer. That would be yeah. a reason why it goes a little longer, because Fury wants it to go a little longer. Keep going. Yeah, I, 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 I think he's not going to be one. He's not going to be motivated to take risks he doesn't need to take. But I don't think Fury is going to be motivated to end this in one or two rounds. And I don't necessarily think he's that kind of puncher either, despite the success he's had in beating Deontay Wilder up a couple of times and Dillian White to follow. I think this will, maybe similar to Dillian White, may go five, six, seven rounds. Um, and if he goes longer than that, then you're going to start to be a bit disappointed that he's not putting him away. Or Chisora has somehow found a Peter Pan kind of mystery cure to his... Um, age and is is giving us a performance we didn't see coming but I, I don't think that and I don't think Fury will be ill-prepared I think Fury will be in decent condition he said for his mental health reasons he has to train every day so he's never out of shape these days so I'm expecting middle rounds I think there'll be a little bit of carrying a little bit of caution I just I would just dread it slipping towards an exhibition where Fury and him are kind of touching gloves and messing around and because that won't, that's not what we do. Do you have genuine concern that it could become that or just slight concern that it could I, become that? I, I, it's a strand of thought I've had. And if I've had it, others have had it, I'm sure. Um, I would just hate to see. I don't think Chisora is that character to allow that to happen. But it, it kind of it filters into my thoughts. Are we going to see him sort of carry him, sort of 
are they going to be messing around? Is it going to be? Are we going to have a bit of Mosley Mayweather kind of touching gloves, and it's all very nice? And <laughs> was it Mosley Pacquiao that did that? I forget now, but you know, you get the sense of what I'm talking about. Kind of grateful to be there, and let's just put on a show, but not really go for it. And I hate, I would hate for that to happen. I want Fury to to get the job done respectfully. It's, it still will be an exciting night. Give me like thirty or forty seconds. Daniel Dubois in the co-feature fights. Uh, defending the lesser version, the secondary version of the WBA title. Kevin Lorena, if I have it right, is a South African. We know a little bit about him. He's 28 and one. Big step up for him, big stage for him. Any quick thought from the boxing writer on the co feature? Because Dubois obviously has a lot behind him, especially if he's spectacular on this Saturday. I think um, Dubois is an interesting case. He's got youth on his side. He can clearly box a little bit and he hits hard. Um, I think we're coming to the crossroads with him. I don't want to, and I don't think this fight, I don't know enough about this guy. I've not had time to research him and do my homework yet. So forgive me. But um, so from, from a Dubois point of view, he's getting close now and the field will clear in another year or two. And he'll probably want to get to one of these guys before that, I'm sure. And we forget that he was boxing pretty well against Joe Joyce, who's everyone's favourite alternative contender now. So until he got that terrible injury and had to fold. But um I'm interested to see what Dubai does in 2023. Beyond this fight, I don't want to make assumptions because, as I've mentioned, I don't know his opponent well enough. But if he comes through this, then the picture unfolds for him and he could be. it'd be interesting to see how he's matched to see whether he can be progressed towards those big guys and made into a an attraction that people want to see try to beat those top guys. These guys are heavyweights. They can crack. Dubois can crack. Again, uh, Lorena, in this case, has really not fought out of South Africa in the last five or six years. Did fight the veteran Marius Walk. How can I be kind, boxing writer? It was a less than attractive. Don't be, don't be kind. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal to watch, okay, at times, but Lorena won my decision. All right, so th that's his background. Will Dubois dispatch him quickly? We don't know. Will Fury take care of Chisora quickly? Um, or will he carry him a little into the middle rounds, et cetera? It's what happened in the Dillian White fight, whether he was carrying him or not. It took him a while before, boom, with the big uppercut. Uh, let's see what happens on Saturday. One thing for sure, I love your insight uh, here on the podcast, and we'll be reading you as well on your site, boxingwriter.co.uk. We love your stuff being with us on bigfightweekend.com. My friend, always good to see you. We didn't even get to talk England in the World Cup. England and the U.S. both advanced to the knockout round. In the We didn't get to talk the world sport here. We got to do that no. at another time. There's a boxing podcast. There's, there's another podcast there. We just need Maybe. to start. We just need to go down that. Nostalgia, 1980s American TV, whatever else we want to go down if we need to. Uh, including me having no idea what a beer costs in a British pub. And David can tell that story because he was there and he was a witness. Uh, but in any event, I always love chatting with you. We'll be reading you on the site. We'll be reading you this weekend in and around Fury Chisora and the undercard. Thank you, my friend, for hopping on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. It's a pleasure as always, TJ. Take care. All right, many thanks for him making time. Get a perspective from over there in the U.K., on Fury Chisora 3, and you and I are about to pause. We're going to hear from Teofimo Lopez uh, in a few moments. Again, we need to make mention this is uh, a Fury Chisora uh, fight card that will be on in the daytime in the United States. ESPN Plus, you'll be able to see it. So we're anxious. We're anxious to see whatever happens. As David was saying, will it be a situation where Fury carries this a few rounds? He thinks that's likely the case, where Fury might be able to, normally to go right after a guy of this caliber that's got this many losses, but he thinks there might be a little friendship thing in there and it might go a few rounds for this, this reason. I know you're shaking your head, but he said well, that 
he pre- he presented that as a scenario of what what will have this be more than a one or two round fight when I asked him. He said so what, what I'm shaking crazy. my head about what I'm making shaking my head about is the notion that somehow Fury can make this a one or two round fight. Whatever you want to say about Chisora, doesn't deserve the title fight, hasn't been really a top guy for many years. Derek Chisora got a great chin. So I don't think anybody, even if you stop him, it's not going to be in the first one or two rounds. Derek Chisora has always shown uh, wherewithal to take the shot. When Fury did stop him many years ago, it was late in that fight. And he's been in the ring with a lot of quality guys and not been stopped before. So, you know, could it happen? Of course, it's heavyweight boxing. But the chances are, based on everything that we know about both Tyson Fury and about Derek Chisora is the fight's probably going a few rounds. And it's not because Tyson Fury is going to let it go a few rounds. It's because Derek Chisora is, uh, is a guy with a great chin. All right, on that note, let us pause. Still to come, Teofimo Lopez with Dan. A little more news of the week, too. We've got plenty on this podcast. You've gotten plenty already. You're going to get plenty more. Stay with us. And let us remind you that our friends at BetUS say if you're looking to wager on Fury Chisora 3 on all the action this weekend, the college football playoff uh, games that are going to be going on the championship weekend this weekend, the bowl games that are coming up, NFL action, do it with BetUS and use our promo code BFW22. If you're a first-time user just signing up, you want to use that promo code. Why? Because you get 125% in match bonus on your initial deposit. That means you're gambling with their money at BetUS. Put 100 bucks in, you'll get 125 of their money to also wager immediately, including on Fury Chisora, any of the boxing action, college football, NFL, college basketball, all of it. Our promo code is BFW22. Take advantage of it. Make use of it. Get a 125% match bonus all the way up to $2,500. Initial sign-up match bonus up to $2,500. Use our promo code BFW22. They are America's favorite sports book for going on 25 years. It's where the games begin. In our case, where the boxing begins. If you're looking to wager, do it with BetUS and our promo code BFW22. We're also brought to you in part by PPV.com. If you're looking to watch this weekend's action between Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. You can do it with ppv.com. And why do you want to do it with them? No subscription. It is a one-off opportunity to watch it through ppv.com. Their interactive broadcast that will also have a Spanish broadcast, fan reaction, uh, interactive also with videos. It's a great viewing experience with ppv.com. And again, one of the big selling points, you don't have to sign up for six months or a year. You can buy the pay-per-view one-off for Chocolatito Estrada 3 with ppv.com. Again, a great viewing experience. Check out that trilogy fight from Glendale, Arizona, Saturday night. Also, they've got the Terrence Crawford fight coming next week for the WBO World Welterweight title fight. Again, same deal. If you want this one, Chocolatito and Estrada, and you don't want the Crawford fight, you just buy it as a one-off. That's all you have to do. If you want the Crawford fight next week and you don't want the Chocolatito fight, I don't know why you would want one and not the other. I'm just saying to you, you can buy them on a one-off with ppv.com. They are proud sponsors of what we do on bigfightweekend.com and the podcast. Again, if you're looking for the pay-per-view, the action-packed fights, Chocolatito Estrada 3, the Crawford fight coming next weekend, ppv.com. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. 
Back in one more time with my man, Dan Rayfield. We've already been giving you a lot of preview of Chocolatito Estrada 3, Fury Chisora 3, as well as they come this weekend. We're going to hear from Teofimo Lopez in just a moment or two. I would not be uh, doing our, our full service here if we don't go over a little bit of news. There was some news this week, midweek, so we thought, on Regis Progray maybe not getting his money or all of his money for his WBC 140-pound title win over Jose Zapata. Progray himself used in a tweet the words, they bounced my check. Well, it turns out it did not bounce. It was just delayed in full payment. We'll explain that. Now, we've had some situations. Speaking of Daniel Dubois, remember, he didn't get his full money for his fight this past summer from Don King, and that took some haggling between King, the lawyers, Frank Warren, to get him the full payment. So this this does happen sometime. But, Dan, you want to clarify, this was more of a banking issue than it was they didn't have money. But go ahead. Well, by the way, it happened with Triller with the Kovalev and Pulev card that took place earlier in the year. <clears throat> so it's sort of become a thing. But this is not that case. You know, I kind of wish that, that – that, and I understand Progray was upset because he looked in his bank account on, uh, the you know, the first business day after the event and he didn't see the money uh, over a million – you know, a million – million dollars uh, or so that should have been in the bank account. Plus, he, you know, he, part of that was the $240,000 win bonus that he got from the WBCs holding of the 10% of the purse bid, which they then give to the winner as a bonus. In any event, like you said, this was not a matter of insufficient funds. Uh, the California Commission, because of issues with Triller earlier in the year, and because the folks that put this fight on, uh, Marv Nation and Legends Entertainment was their first sort of big boxing event. Uh, Andy Foster at the commission went to great lengths and due diligence to make sure that the money was in place, which he found that it was. So again, it wasn't a matter of they didn't have the money or they were trying to stiff anybody. This was a new outfit doing a big event, opens up a bank account uh, with Wells Fargo and puts a lot of money. And all of a sudden come Monday morning, there's a run on that money. So the bank sees multiple payments of a million dollars and all the other expenses that are going out, other fighter purses. And sort of like, if you ever had your credit card stop, because there's some weird beer purchase at three in the morning in a place that's not near your home. <laughs> and they put a pause on your credit card and they call you up and say, did you, did you buy the beer? You know, you don't even away. know how you're ringing the bell with me. Like when I get the notification, can I sell Can I sell my wife out on the Big Fight Weekend podcast where all of a sudden her card's hacked and I get a <laughs> notification about a $9 purchase for bunion bandages. Bunion bandages? I'm not making that up, Rayfield, for I $9. Listen. That's right. The fraud alerts come out. So, except, so they, yeah. they put the those you know flashing lights. Everybody gets their, their antenna up and they, they, they put up hold on payments out of the account. And it, it well, let me explain. Little... Let me explain a little further because I understand some of this, and I got a father-in-law <clears throat> that worked at the fraud division of the St. Pete Police Department for 25 years. So he he talked to me about this, and I know this from other cops and other people. So peeps, when you you have to understand this, when you are drawing on a bank with a check, that bank is putting up the money coming to your bank. That is bank number one's money. Okay, so in this case, as you mentioned, for Wells Fargo. They are taking in some money and they're paying some money out and it's a new account and this is typical. But when Wells Fargo goes to pay Progray and Zapata, they're paying them with Wells Fargo's money. So they want to make sure that the Marv Nation deposit is good, whomever else is depositing is good before they pay all their money. And one of the ways they do that is they stagger it maybe over a couple of business days just to make sure they don't pay the full whack. At least that is what 
uh, they're supposed to do because sometimes you get burned if you don't do that. And banks have had that happen. Listen. Like there's a, like there's a case in Florida. Listen to this, where a bank stupidly gave a crook, gave a criminal like fourteen million dollars, not a million dollars reaches pro grade, but fourteen million dollars. <coughs> And his bank turned out to be fraudulent. And so now the bank has been trying for years to get all of their 14 million back and can't do it. Okay. So I'm going a little bit in the weeds, Listen, but the, that's the premise we're talking about the here. They bottom took an line extra is, day to get him his money. One Regis Progray tweet caused boxing Twitter to have a meltdown about absolutely nothing. Because in this day and age, people have no concept of take a deep breath, assess the situation before they lose their shit. Yeah, and Regis lost his shit, and he shouldn't have. I'm glad he got his money. Cepeda got his money. Everybody got their money. I mean, Charles Conwell's people had the same issue when they went to get their money. It was cleared up in two seconds. Again, not an issue because of the promoter, an issue because the bank had a run on a new account. Bottom line, and it's their money they're paying out, and they want to make sure, and they're going to take care of it on their timetable, usually by the next day. So Regis got fifty percent on whatever on uh, what they say today's. As we taped this, today's Thursday. He got fifty percent of the money on Wednesday. Got the other fifty percent on Thursday. And there he's go. good. He put he out a video good. saying so that you know, appreciating what happened, that everything is good. You know, props to Marv Nation and to Legends Entertainment. Not an issue with them. He's as he said, I'm straight. I got my bread. And we wrote about that on the website, so we're all good. We put that to bed. All right, so there's Much a little news. ado about nothing. All right, there you go. So uh, this just in, banks are going to protect their own interests with money that they give out. What a shock. All right, let's move on. Uh, as we mentioned from earlier, Teofimo Lopez, now a guest on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. What a busy podcast. Uh, there is more, including the former unified lightweight champ. He's moved up to 140. He's headlining in New York ESPN top-ranked show next weekend. Dan spoke with him earlier this week. Conversation right now. And I'm going to welcome for the second time on the podcast, because we talked before your last fight, it is uh, the one and only former lightweight world champion, Tiafimo Lopez. He's getting ready for an important fight, December the 10th, New York's Madison Square Garden, the main event on Heisman Trophy Night, taking on uh, Spaniard Sander Martin in a WBC junior welterweight title eliminator. Tiafimo, thank you for doing this, and welcome to the show. How are you doing, my man? Uh, thank you. Thank you for everything. I'm honestly, man, I'm doing great. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to this fight on December 10th. Honestly, I could fight this week if it was fight week this week. <laughs> well, don't do that. You wait till the night of the fight because then you get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, right? Exactly. So as I mentioned when I introduced you, uh, you're fighting on the on the on what has become an annual thing for top rank, doing a big fight card uh, in New York on the, on the night of the Heisman Trophy, some synergy with ESPN, which televises the uh, trophy presentation. Tifimo, you have fought on those cards before. You've shined on those cards before. This is going to be your first time on that card in the main event. So I wondered, how big of a deal is that to you? I mean, you've been in the main event in other fights before, not your first rodeo in that respect, but Heisman night, first time, what do you think? How are you feeling about that? What do I think? My goodness, I feel like I'm in a dream. You got to pinch me or something because, wow, the mecca of boxing, man. Madison Square Garden, that's where legends are born. They're not made there. They're born there. And I think, honestly, listen, uh, being the headline of that, there's a great, and not only that, being the headline and having all these young top prospects on the undercard of it, 
Oh, man, I'm truly appreciative of everything. Uh, it's been a long journey. It's been a long, hard work. Uh, we've been fighting so much, blood, sweat, and tears to get to this point to be the headline on Heisman Trophy night. And we are able to, we capitalized on it now. So it's all about if this is now, I can only imagine what we could do later, you know? So so it's all about, you know, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm truly thankful. I can't wait. I've been busting my ass, Dan. I've been busting my butt, training so hard, working hard, working harder than ever because I understand the magnitude of this fight and I understand what it's going to do for me in the be- in, in, in the beginnings of 2023. Well, I can say this, Todd, because uh, the people that will uh, listen to this will hear it on audio, but because we're doing this on a Zoom, I can see you. And it's very obvious to me that you are uh, already close to being ready to go. You look like you're on weight to me. I mean, even though you're wearing a shirt, so you definitely look like you've been it can tell in your face, you know, it's uh, it looks good. Uh, oh yeah, one one forty six right now. I'm one hundred and forty six pounds. I mean, I've been drinking my water, my fluids, and and honestly, that's just, this is what I needed, though. You know, I know people are probably will say like, oh, he can still make thirty five. No, I cannot. Right. I promise you, I cannot. It's it's literally my body is getting comfortable with me. It's being more happy with me because listen, our body too can tell us when to stop. So my body right now is like, hey, I like that we moved up to 140. Let's keep moving. Let's keep doing this. All right. So it's been uh, just in the last couple of days as we're taping this, a uh, one year since your uh, tremendous fight, although the loss to George Cambosas and your lightweight when you lost mm-hmm. the lightweight title, but you've moved up yes. as you mentioned. It's gonna be your second fight now in the junior welterweight division. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, before we get into the fight you got coming up, you, you had your, your first fight in the weight class back in August. You scored a pretty impressive seventh-round knockout against Pedro Campa. And I wondered, how did you feel about your debut in the weight class, that performance? Um, you know, I felt you know I felt the ring rust, for sure. You know, I felt the, the, the whole just getting in tune to it, just getting the fundamentals back on. You know, um, the stage or anything, I'm, I'm used to. However, it was just the the part that was really um, that was playing over and over and over and over and over again for me, and and especially when it came to fight week for Kampa, was like I can't believe this, but I'm going back to the same thing that almost killed me, you know. So it's like I need to really carry this differently, or I need to be careful with this, you know. And and for the first time in a long time, I was I think since 2015, I was nervous, really, a little bit. I had a little bit of nerves. I think that's you good, know, don't you? No, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, okay. I don't like it. The reason the reason why I don't like it is because I don't need to be nervous. I know who I am as a fighter. And I, I haven't been I haven't been like I said, Dan, I haven't been nervous since two thousand and fifteen. That's that's how long has it been for me. You know? What so, what was it in twenty fifteen that made you nervous? Um, I, I was always nervous, you know, as a as a kid, you know, um from, from when I first started competing at eight years old. But then all the way to, to, to 2015, I think my mind just made up because I started winning um, all the big major titles and championships in amateur boxing for USA Boxing, which was the National Golden Gloves, um, the U.S. Olympic qualifiers and becoming the best uh, athlete of the whole tournament. And then thirdly, bec- uh, winning the U.S. Olympic trials itself. So that just brought more and more confidence in me to realize that, and these are fighting the best, fighting the best. You know how the U.S. Olympic trials yeah. go. These are the top athletes, and you have to qualify. So beating all those guys brought that confidence in me to realize that I don't need to. Um, I don't need to be nervous no more. So once you, you were know? past those nerves, every, was everything else about that August fight, your debut in the weight class? Did you feel good about how you performed? Is there anything you saw that uh, when you went back and looked at it that even though you won pretty handily, that oh, you know, I can. I need to work on that. I need to sharpen up this. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're doing now, you know, into this camp leading to the Sander Martin fight. You know, these are the best things. And the, and the beauty that I love about how I know myself so well and my father, who's my coach, he knows so well, is that he may re revisit and see the film. For myself, though, I know what I did right or wrong as each round goes. So what was, like one, what was one thing then that you thought you need to, like, sharpen up or work on a little bit better? My jabs. Okay. Perfect them better. I need to perfect my jabs better. Because the jab is the most important punch. And although I was capitalizing on it, I was hearing a lot of, uh, I was getting a lot of insight on others. They, they were like, man, you got a legendary jab. You have a beautiful jab. And I was like, oh, thank you. You just let me know. I got to keep using it more. And, but the whole thing is, is, there's a lot of things to it. There's more than just a jab. Right. <laughs> However, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna explain to everything to everyone because at the end of the day, we even got the competitors listening to this. Fair enough. Uh, so, I mean, everybody knows as you go into this fight, you're not supposed to fight Sander Martin to begin with. Your original opponent mm -hmm. that was signed and announced was supposed to be uh, the former two division champion uh, from Puerto Rico, Jose the Sniper Pedraza. Uh, he had an illness. He dropped out a couple of weeks ago. He had to make this change. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about your thoughts on uh, making the change in opponent, number one, and also, you know, you're switching from fighting a right-handed fighter that you were preparing for in camp to changing over to Sander Martin, who was a left-hander. That's obviously different. Maybe changes up your sparring. Talk to me a little bit about the about the mentality of making a change and also because he goes from, uh, from being a right-handed fighter to a left-handed fighter. Uh, to, to be honest, you know, um, when, it, when it came to having the matchup against Pedraza, you know, that was something that, okay, we have to, now we have to get two different guys, you know, like you say, Orthodox and Southpaw, because Pedraza, he knows how to go and he knows how to fight both ways, both styles, you know, uh, so we prepared for all that. However, we found out the news. He, uh, yes, he was ill with uh, non-COVID symptoms and that had to force him to pull out. Uh, luckily, we were able to have Sandra Martin, who says and who has stated that he has been training because he knew that this fight would happen. So, you know, these are great things. So this guy is not coming out of a three-week notice. This guy's been in the gym for a couple weeks already before the three-week notice. So, you know, I don't want to hear no excuses when we beat this guy and we beat this clown and we send him back to Spain, you know, um, you know, humbly. So it, it's all those things that play those roles, you know, and uh, I'm looking forward to really just with Sandra Martin now, Southpaw and everything. You guys see what I do with Southpaws. I love Southpaws, really. I actually am more comfortable with southpaws than I am orthodox. Now, he, Pedraza was coming off of a draw, coming off of a loss before that. To uh, you know, lost. He had draw with Comey, who you had knocked out. He had the uh, the loss to Ramirez before that. Uh, and even though he may have fought maybe better known opponents generally than Martin, Martin was a former European champion. He's got a great record. He's like forty and two. Uh, uh, with only 13 knockouts, but nonetheless. But his big win where he really made a name for himself, at least in the United States, he went to the backyard of Mikey Garcia at an even heavier weight, uh, fighting at 144 pounds, and he, and he beat him. And he sent Mikey Garcia into retirement. And I wonder when you switch opponents from Pedraza, despite his accolades and his titles, the fact that in more recent times, Martin has a very big win against Garcia. Does that make this like a bigger fight in your mind, like a, a more dangerous opponent because he's already pulled the big upset against a very well-known, top-quality guy like Mikey Garcia? Well, I'll tell you like this, Dan. Every fight moving forward is the biggest fight of my career, biggest fight of my life. You know, it's in the toughest challenge of my life, you know, because it states and it navigates where I need to go after that. You know, win, lose, or draw, it could, it could definitely change your whole, um, your whole journey. 
really. Sure. So yeah, this is a this is a competitive fight. This is a big fight. I love it. That's why Mauricio Suleiman and the WBC um, they asked for this fight. They sanctioned it as a, a final eliminator for those reasons because it is a well-rounded matchup. And those are the things that you know I'm very I, I'm very excited about. I'm intrigued that we are able to have this fight go on. And yeah, you know he retired Mikey Garcia, but he's not going to retire Teofimo Lopez come December 10th. I promise you that. If anything, the reverse. Hey, I might just hit him with the Uno reverse card. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> a little a little uh, card game uh, joke there. I get it. Uh, did you watch his fight against Mikey Garcia? And if so, what were your impressions of him? Actually, the the interesting part is that we were on our way to that fight, um, and right when we got there, we got there just in. We got there. Right when they announced the decision and the upset, and when we heard Sandra Martin's name get rose, like his hand raised and everything, and you just hear everyone in Fresno and everyone just like, ooh, and all those things. And then, um, but that was the same night that we had that confrontation with Devin Haney. <laughs> so you didn't see the actual fight, then, is what you're saying? No, I actually I did not see the actual fight. You know, we definitely missed it. However, you know, my my coach, my father has been tuning in, um, and then I peeped, I peeped a little bit. Or I peeped probably like. 15, 20 seconds of him, and that's all I needed to see. And, you know, we just move forward. So as you mentioned, it's a, the WBC at the convention a few weeks ago uh, mandated this as an eliminator. You already set the fight uh, Pedraza, so maybe this would have been the next fight. But as it turned out, it is it is now this fight because of uh, the illness. So uh, a victory will move the winner uh, a step closer to the mandatory shot uh, against the newly crowned champion of the WBC, Regis Progre, who won that belt in a, in a terrific fight November 26th by knocking out Jose Zapata. Uh, yeah. I wonder what Christmas is... Christmas is coming early. <laughs> what did you say? Christmas is coming early? Yeah, I hear you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did, you, did, you uh, did you see the Progray fight against Zapata? And if yeah, you I'll did... You that. that that's Listen, I, my understanding is that WBC is going to order Jose Ramirez to fight Progray next because he, he sort of stepped aside as this happened in the first place. But the winner of your fight would be next up in terms of the mandatory. Uh Boy, oh boy, I can't think of a more tasty fight in the weight class than, than Regis Progre against Tiafimo Lopez, being honest. Did you see the fight yeah, he had too. against Cepeda? Um, no, I did not, actually. I was going to. Me and my team, we were all looking forward to watching the fight. My team ended up watching the whole fight. They seen what they had to see. However, you know, after a long days of training and everything, I'm focused on my fight. Sure. Um, I had my I had my DPT work on me, massage me, everything, work on everything. And um, honestly, I just fell asleep, man. I was so tired. That, that uh, But, you know, afterwards, I seen some of the highlights. I seen what I had to see. And, um, you know, Kudos to both guys to going in the ring just that alone and giving giving the fans and everyone a, a great show, you know. And, and I'm very excited that you know the winner was Regis Progress. You know this guy talks a lot. You know he can he comes from the mud, you know. And, and I hope that he understands that stay in the mud because I don't need you to come out here and say that I'll knock out Teofimo Lopez. But if the money's right, I don't need that. Don't tell me that. Don't do, do not tell me that. If you from the mud, you fight me. You fight me. Don't tell me about no money, you know. So, um, listen, I want your title. I want everybody's world title. I want Josh Taylor. You know, these are the guys that we're looking forward to fighting in, uh, next year in the upcoming years as well, you know, and just putting on the show at 140, you know, being a, becoming a two-time undisputed world champion. That's what we're looking at. Well, the great thing about uh, when they when they order mandatory fights is if 
uh, it's not so much show me the money, it's uh, it goes to a purse bid. Now, you've been down the road with purse bids, but certainly you and Regis in a purse bid, if it happened to get there, you'd still be guaranteed the shot. I want to wrap up because you were talking about... Nah, nah, ain't no purse bids no more, man. Trust me, ain't no purse bids no more. I'll Fair tell enough. you that much. You were, hey, you were, man, Teofimo Lopez, a takeover, definitely showed a true dynamic into the sport of boxing. I'll just say that. You were mentioning some of the, the other top names in your weight class, uh, as you just mentioned. I wanted to just get your take because there's a lot of action besides yourself, and you mentioned about Taylor. He's got a rematch with Catterell coming up. Uh, Jose Ramirez is going to come back. I guess he'll probably fight Regis at some point uh, for the title. But the, the big talk of the weight class besides your fight in the immediate future is soon after is uh, down the road uh, after interim fights if it gets handled. Got a very exciting fight, the prospect of Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia. Two big names in the weight class that you'd occupy yourself against. Either of them is a uh, sort of a mega fight in my mind. Uh, can you just give me your take and I'll, I'll let you go and get on with your day. Uh, what you think about the prospect of Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia? That seems to be a fight that has a lot of people really amped up. You know, um, you know, they say that the fight's been signed and uh, it's a two-fight deal. Basically, they fight someone right now as a as a warm-up, as a startup, and then they fight in April or May, whatever they're planning on doing. Um, I believe this is great for the sport of boxing. This is what we needed uh, a year ago. This is what we needed two years ago. You know, but hey, everything happens uh, in perfect time and in God's time. So this is great that we have two two um, superstars facing each other. You know, Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. Um, I can't really say who's going to win this fight, though. That's that's really the interesting part about it. Uh, we will probably have to see how they perform in their next previous fight to decide who we believe will be the, the winner of that next fight against um, themselves. You know, uh, I think it's going to be a great matchup, though. It's great for boxing. I believe 2023 is we're going to see a lot, a lot. I mean, a good amount, at least a handful of great matchups, you know, especially with myself and Josh Taylor. Pro Grace. I mean, there's so many guys that we could match up with myself, too. Well, before we get to seeing uh, Tank Davis and uh, Garcia and some of those other great matches you mentioned, you got Tiafimo Lopez getting ready to take on Sander Martin on uh, December 10th. Madison Square Garden, New York City, the main event, ESPN Plus and ESPN and ESPN Deportes and basically wherever you get ESPN. Tiafimo, I wish you the best and of Sky luck. Sports. And Sky Sports <laughs> in the UK, there you go. Like a good, uh, good company man, letting everybody know where you can be seen. Uh, I thank you so much for your time. I wish you great luck in your fight. And um, for everyone, listen, I, I just came out with this new film. It's called Resilient. Uh, please tune in. Check it out. Uh, this is more of my personal films and personal use. Uh, I, I actually brought some guys here, Dustin Alt from Germany and Anthony Cado from Canada. I brought these guys to actually emulate, and I want you guys to see the real true essence of Teofimo Lopez from the scenes and behind the scenes. And this is what we're giving everyone out there. So check out the documentary takeover productions on YouTube. Uh, thank you, Dan, for this. Thank you for everybody. Um, check out resilience. It's out now. So just to make sure, just they can catch it on YouTube, right? Yes, sir. Very good. It's only on you. It's only on YouTube and we're not using this to profit anything. This is, we're not selling the film or anything. This is all my rights. 100%. And it's all about just giving it back to the communities and giving out to the people and to all their kids out there that need that, that knowledgeable understanding of, of carrying yourself. You know, we all know how to carry ourselves in, in human form, but we need to know how to carry ourselves mentally. So I'm going to make sure so to go check that out. That, I'm going to check that out. Absolutely. All right, TFM. Thank well, thank you. Good luck in the fight, my man. Appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. It's a takeover. Woo! There you go, everybody. TFM Lopez.
As you said to us earlier, we could tell from his voice, from his inflection, he was in good spirits there about a week out. And uh, and now he gets ready to headline back in New York and, and, a, and a fight date that he's familiar with as well. And we're expecting a pretty big crowd for that fight next weekend. One more time to wrap this up on the conversation with Teofimo. Well, as people heard, the big deal here is that it's the Heisman Trophy night, which has become uh, a big night for an ESPN top-ranked fight. Obviously, ESPN televises the Heisman Trophy presentation in a little different, you know, at the New York Athletic Club in uh, New York City, and then they go to the Garden for the boxing event. And Tiafimo, as uh, you alluded to, he has fought on this date before, as him and I spoke about. But for him, it's a big deal because now he's the first time uh, on this card where he gets to be in the main event. And again, besides just his uh, main event in the title eliminator, um, you know, there, there should be, it's the last big New York event of the year for boxing, really from, for, I guess the East coast, you can look at it in that sense. Uh, but, but there's other, not necessarily big, big fights on the undercard, but very good names. You got Jared Anderson, the heavyweight stepping up against Jerry Forrest, uh, uh, been a fringe contender for a bit. You got, uh, Xander Zayas, uh, the outstanding junior middleweight prospect, uh, just a, you know, still a teenager. You got Keyshawn Davis, the the silver medal winner in the Olympic Games, one of the one of the best lightweight prospects in the sport. Uh, the point is, top rank, and I've said it on the podcast. I'm going to say it again. They have the deepest, most impressive roster of prospects in the sport, and their three best prospects, literally, meaning Anderson, Zayas, and Davis, in whichever order you want to put them, all three of them are on this undercard. So Tifimo, he even alluded to it in the interview, talking about the level of the talent that's on the, uh, on the undercard and he gets to headline it. So uh, it's an exciting, uh, t- it's an exciting thing for boxing. Anytime you got a big show at the garden, it's a great thing. Good enough. We'll talk more about that next week. Well done with that conversation, my friend, this has been a busy, busy show. You've been very busy with the interviews, including Chocolatito and Estrada earlier in the podcast. We got some perspective from David Payne. You got some preview from us. You got some Teofimo Lopez. What more you want peeps? We're ready for the weekend. Dan Rayfield, you ready for the weekend? You ready to go? I'm ready, baby. All right. uh, All good stuff. We thank you for listening and finding us again. The BetUS Boxing Show, 1 Eastern Time, live on the BetUS platforms and uh, YouTube channel. We'll make some predictions on this fight. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast coming off of the weekend. Whatever happens with Fury Chisora with Chocolatito Estrada, the trilogy fights for those. We'll be recapping it. Dubois also in action as well. Great stuff. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Our thanks also to David Payne, the boxing writer. Our thanks also to the folks with Top Rank and uh, Teofimo's promotion for getting him with Dan. Also the Matchroom people uh, and Eddie Hearn's people for getting Chocolatito and Estrada with Dan. I think I've thanked everybody. I think we're good. We're ready for the weekend and all the action. And you've been listening to the Big Fight Weekend Preview.